Welcome to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast, conversations with some of the most interesting and influential leaders in the visual and performing arts. Discover a new art form, unlock your creativity, or dive deeper into an existing passion. I'm Ivy's Arts and Culture Director and your host, Phil Chan. For more information about Ivy and our arts and culture programming, visit culture.ivy.com. 2018 will be the 100th anniversary of the birth of American conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein. This year, Ivy joins arts organizations across the country in sharing his work with the Ivy community, including West Side Story at Miami City Ballet, Candide with both LA Opera and the Washington National Opera, West Side Story Live with the San Francisco Symphony, the Bill Charlop Trio in Chicago with Songs of Leonard Bernstein, and more in 2018. I hope you'll join us. Bernstein was born in 1918, the son of Ukrainian Jewish parents, and as a pianist, went to study at Harvard, where he developed an interest in conducting finally working his way up to the assistant conductor of the New York Philharmonic in 1943 at the age of 25, ultimately becoming its longtime musical director. Joshua Gerson, the New York Philharmonic's current assistant conductor and former occupant of Bernstein's chair, shares with us his early experiences with Bernstein's music, as well as the task of conducting this coming year as part of the New York Philharmonic's Bernstein Centennial Celebration. I was trying to think of what my first experience was, and I can't. I was so young. Um... I, I was born in, in New Jersey in the mid-80s, so, um, and my family were not musicians, but they were music appreciators, and they went to Lincoln Center a lot and saw a lot of concerts at Avery Fisher Hall and the opera and all. So Leonard Bernstein was really a, a central figure for them um, as a Jewish family growing up near New York. He was sort of their hero, in a way, and our hero. So I heard about him all the time, um, and unfortunately, he passed away in 1990, so I was only six years old. I never got to meet him. I, don't, I never saw him perform or anything like that, but he was certainly a very large figure, even in my young life, already you know, wanting to be a musician. Um, so I was trying to think of my first exposure to him and his music, and I can't. Um, the one thing I do remember is, in, I played in youth orchestra. This was a little bit later on. I was in fifth or sixth grade, and, and we played some selections from West Side Story, and I believe that's probably the first time I certainly ever played anything that was by Bernstein, it was by Bernstein. It was arranged by somebody else. But that was the first time that I was ever really exposed to his music, um, and I, I can only imagine that that sometime before that I had heard something or in some way had been exposed to him. But that's, that's my first, I suppose, my first real memory. And when maybe did you realize that okay, this is something special? What this guy's work is, he's really saying something interesting here. It's a it's a really interesting question. I, I think what's so compelling about his music, and maybe we're already getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but I think what, what makes West Side Story in particular work so well is that it really is sort of a, a synthesis, not only of a lot of musical styles um, popular in this country, but popular in this country when he was writing the piece, um, but it's, it's in many ways sort of, sort of for him the perfect sort of combination of music that's very sort of compelling in an emotional way. It really inspires you and really hits you in that way, but it's also incredibly well-crafted and well-composed on sort of an intellectual, compositional level as well. And usually that's when we find the best pieces um, in the repertoire. They tend to sort of have those two things going on at once. Oftentimes, uh, music can be one or the other, you know, very well-written, but doesn't really kind of speak to you in a sort of very emotional way, or it can be very sort of emotionally driven, but isn't as well-constructed, so to speak, as some other... Um, pieces may be, and usually that works, but the best pieces do both. And I think um, in the instance of West Side Story, for sure, that's what makes it such a wonderful piece.
piece. Now, Bernstein also composed, um, you know, orchestral music, uh, music for ballets, music for Broadway. Um, is there a common theme um, across his music, across disciplines, that you think he was trying to express? I think what's interesting um, about Bernstein's music, at least to me, um, is, is it really is sort of a reflection of, I would say, really American culture in the mid-20th century. Um, and I think what's, what was so hard for composers in the 20th century was that really there were all of a sudden no rules anymore. Um, through most of the 18th, 19th century sort of classical composition, there were sort of these um, sort of guidelines, rules, boundaries that everyone sort of had to follow. And, and music sort of evolved very linearly. What would happen is people would take what had been done before them and sort of break some more rules and kind of push things a little bit further. And then that next person would take what that person did and push it even further and further and further. And it sort of evolved very linearly for a while. And then in the 20th century, we got to the point where pretty much all the rules had already been broken. Um, and what that meant were there were no rules left. And you could pretty much do anything. Which in a way is very liberating for a composer. There is, you, know, you can do whatever you want and no one can kind of criticize you for, for doing something inappropriate. Um, but it also gives you no real basis or foundation to work from. And so a lot of composers at that time were sort of really searching for their own identity, for their own voice. Um, because they had nothing to start with, no building blocks. And I think with Bernstein, what you get is an incredible sort of fusion synthesis of not only a lot of the composers that he was very familiar with and had been working with at the time, classical composers, um, Aaron Copland and Igor Stravinsky and George Gershwin, um, but also really sort of a fusion of a lot of the other musical styles that were popular at the time. Jazz had really become mainstream in the 40s and 50s. Broadway had become very mainstream in the 40s and 50s. Um, Bernstein was Jewish. He had a lot of influence from that culture and musical tradition that he incorporated into his music. Um, he was a fan of rock music as well. And you really do get a little bit of all of that um, in, his, in his music, in his compositional style. And I think for a while, his first pieces, um, he was really struggling, searching for his own voice. And what you get are sort of a lot of pieces that sound like other composers that really aren't him. Um, he was sort of imitating too much and trying to bring it all together in some meaningful way, and it didn't quite work. And I think finally he sort of found a way to bring it all together in a way that was really organic and natural, and it really became his own voice. And I think in West Side Story is really where you see that be the most successful. You sound like you're especially a fan of West Side Story. What has uh, that piece meant to you personally? Um, it's a piece that I've been a, sort of, I guess, around a lot throughout my life. I sort of found myself um, sort of involved in doing in different facets of it. I, I remember I actually played um, the actual show in the pit when I was in high school. Um, uh, it's just something that's sort of come up again and again. And I think it is, in many ways, um, his greatest work. I think many people feel that way. It's certainly probably his most popular work. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways it really is one of the most quintessential American works as well, um, in that it's incredibly well-written music, but it's a Broadway show, which, you know, there is, I think we all sort of have struggled sort of to find the American identity as far as what that, in classical music, what that is. And in a lot of ways, you know, Broadway is our American opera. And it really is, you know, as much ours as, as anything. 
Um, so I think the fact that he was able to find a way to write such a great piece in that medium um, is one of the most sort of miraculous things we, we have in the 20th century. And um, it's just great music, you know? Do you feel any special pressure conducting his work here in this house? You can always sort of feel his ghost wandering around a little bit. Um, you know, this was his orchestra in a way for many, many years, and, and he's still sort of, as, as you said, his legacy was sort of built here. Um, so maybe a little bit, but it's also, I think I'm very, you know, just really excited to be a part of it, you know, to be able to um, perform that work, the Symphonic Dance of West Side Story, with this orchestra, you know, in the year of, 100th anniversary of, of his birth is is really a special thing for me that I'm really excited about. I think what's challenging about um, conducting his music, again, sort of stems back from sort of the eclectic nature of it. There's just so many different um, styles, genres that he uses within one piece, and it's really, really difficult to sort of evoke all those different things um, within sort of the whole umbrella of, of you know, one, one piece of music. I think that's very, very hard. And um, you see it in pretty much every piece that he wrote. There's little things taken from all these different places, and it's very hard to get each of those things correct and right and sound the way they're supposed to sound, um, but then sort of connect them all and make them make sense as you know, one entire piece. It's, it's difficult. but It's the great American challenge. It, it, it really is. I mean, in a way, it does reflect to what, what happened in this country, you know, especially throughout the 20th century, and, and he really sort of embodies that as a composer more than almost any other composer I can think of. He was also a very prolific and influential conductor as well, and probably sure. one of the first major American conductors on the international scene. Um, what does that mean to be a great conductor, and what uh, was so wonderful and remarkable about Bernstein? That's an incredibly complicated question, and I don't know if anybody can answer it incredibly well. Um, I think, you know, first of all, what makes a good conductor, I wish I could tell you. Um, the best analogy that I, I tend to give is that the conductor of an orchestra is sort of like the director of a movie, in that you're given this piece of music on you know, sheet music, notes on a piece of paper, with a lot of different parts to it, and it's sort of your job to sort of synthesize, you know, internalize all that information, figure out sort of, based on what you see on the page, what that music is supposed to sound like, and then get 80 or 90 people on stage with you all playing different instruments and different parts to sort of buy into one vision and concept of what you think that piece would be. Um, if you were to have every single orchestral musician play their part the way they think it should be played, you'd get relative chaos. The same way if you had the costume designer of a movie and then the composer and an actor and the, you know, whatever do their own thing, you'd get a mess. So you need somebody sort of at the top just to sort of unify the vision to create some kind of continuity. And that's really what we do um, in essence. There are more sort of technical things. Yes, it's our job to help them play together and set the right beat and tempo and all that kind of stuff. But in, the, the real important thing is sort of how we um, interpret a piece of music, how we take the notes on the page, sort of figure out how that really should sound, and then make that happen with the orchestra in a unified way. Um, I think what was so compelling about Bernstein as a conductor was just the sheer emotion an energy that he brought, an enthusiasm that he brought. I think before him, conductors were a little bit more sort of 
reserved inside the box, sort of did their job in a very dutiful way. Um, and with Bernstein, it was all just you know, extroverted and so much energy and so much passion. And I think that was incredibly inspiring, not just for the musicians on stage that were playing with him, but for the audience as well. And, and you know, you see a lot of people imitating that now, um, that kind of really enthusiastic conducting. But he was really the one who brought that sort of um, to the forefront and sort of changed the way we, we view conductors, I think, yeah. forever. Yeah. Now, he's also, um, he was here at the New York Philharmonic for many years and like really had a profound impact on the institution. Um, what are some ways that you think we still feel his influence here at the New York Philharmonic today? And how do you think maybe being at the helm of the New York Philharmonic also changed him as an individual, as a composer, as a conductor? That's an excellent question, and I wish I had been able to talk to him about that personally, because <laughs> I would hate to speak for him. Um, you know, I think some of the things that I just sort of talked about, just sort of that sort of passion and energy that he brought um, as a conductor to the orchestra is something that really was his lasting legacy here and, and really for music in general. Um, you know, he was also, as a composer, but also as a champion of American music at the time, um, brought a lot of that uh, music to the Philharmonic, premiered a lot of American works while he was here. And I think that's something that, that still sort of has stuck with this orchestra and, and is still sort of part of our identity, um, that we do um, play a lot of new American music and are known for, have been known for over the past 50 years, um, championing a lot of, of important American composers. I think that's something that, that in a lot of ways that start with him. You're, uh, you're conducting symphonic dances from West Side Story coming up in February. Um, Tell me about that concert and what you're doing to prepare for it. Sure. Uh, well, I'm certainly um, preparing by just studying all the music very, very hard and making sure I know it as well as I can um, for the performances. But it's a really wonderful program, and it really is a celebration of not just Bernstein, but of American music and American composers in general. Um, we have three of the most famous and, um, well, three of the most famous pieces and three of the most famous American composers. Um, of the 20th century, Samuel Barber, Bernstein, and Aaron Copeland. Um, so the concert opens with, with Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, which is a piece. I mean, if you haven't heard it, um, or you don't think you've heard it, you probably heard it somewhere. It's probably like an ice skating routine in the Olympics. I'm sure point. it's been used there and in, other, in many other different uh, situations. A car commercial. Um, one of the, <laughs> a sad car commercial. Um, you know, one of the most beautiful, just sort of gut-wrenching um, pieces we have. Then, of course, the Bernstein Symphony of the West Side Story. And then uh, the second half is, is Aaron Copeland's Third Symphony, which is one of the most monumental American works we have in the 20th century. But it features um, um, the fanfare for the common man, um, which is a very, one of his most famous works. Um, it's sort of been extrapolated and used in, in different situations for brass. Um, but it's actually in the symphony, um, featured very prominently in the end. And um, it's, it's an incredible piece. And, very inspiring piece. So um, it's a wonderful program. As I said, it's sort of, in a weird way, you know, the, the most popular American classical music we really have to date. Um, all three pieces are, are wonderful and, and quite well known. So it should be a, a wonderful program. Now you're also in our Ivy member demographic. Uh, um, I am. Okay. So, so <laughs> one of the things that we also like to talk about our, with our members is um, about how to ignite their own passions? How do they find their own passions? And you seem to be somebody who's 
pretty much living your passion here in this wonderfully creative organization. Um, what are some tips you might have for people who maybe want to lead a more creative or a more passionate life and how can they um, seek that out? I suppose it's probably different for everybody, but I would say um, just find things you love doing and do them. Um, I don't think there's any real substitute for that. I think I was lucky and then I found something that I really love to do and have been able to do it for a living. And that's, I know that I'm, I'm incredibly lucky in that regard. We, we all can't do that um, throughout our lives. But I think um, you know, we're all passionate about something. There are all certain things that we love doing, and I think we just shouldn't shy away from that and you know, do whatever we can to involve it as much in our lives as possible. So the excerpt you're about to hear um, is uh, called The Mambo um, from the West Side Story Symphonic Dances. And uh, you may know that West Side Story is actually, um, the plot of West Side Story is taken from Romeo and Juliet as sort of a modern take on that story. Um, and you may remember that um, in Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet meet at a masked ball. Um, and in the version of West Side Story, um, this is actually a dance at the gym. And so while we're at this dance, there's this huge dance number, um, which usually you'll see in Broadway often. Um, and in this case, it's actually a big mambo. Um, so it is sort of just sort of a dance break in the middle of the, of the scene and of the story. We talked about um, uh, a lot of um, how Bernstein sort of composes music. He took a lot of different styles and genres from many different places and sort of synthesized them um, to sort of create his own unique sound um, and, and style of music. And so in this case, obviously, he's borrowing from sort of this Latin tradition. I believe the mambo actually is a Cuban dance originally, but of course it was very popular in Puerto Rico as well. And this is a dance that had become very popular um, during this time period in the, in the 30s, 40s, and now in the 1950s. Um, so it was certainly peculiar for a classical composer to use this kind of dance um, in sort of serious music. But again, that was something that Bernstein was really sort of looking to do um, at this point in time. And of course, sort of signature to the Latin style, you hear a lot of um, Latin percussion instruments, um, bongos, timbales, that kind of thing, that really sort of give that Latin mambo sound.
was the Mambo from Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story. I will be conducting this piece live with the New York Philharmonic on February 22nd at 7.30 p.m. and February 23rd and 24th at 8 p.m. You can get your tickets at nyphil.org. Hope to see you there. We are pleased to be able to include the New York Philharmonic's recording of Igor Stravinsky's Petrushka as part of our podcast. For more information about the New York Philharmonic, please visit them on the web at nyphil.org. That's our show for the week. Thanks again for tuning into the Ivy Podcast. This is our 100th episode. We hope you had as much fun listening to it as we did putting it together. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode and the previous 99 episodes, if you're feeling so inclined. So please send us an email at podcast at ivy.com with your thoughts. We promise to read every email. And even if you don't send us an email, please take a moment to review us on Apple Podcast. This helps people discover the show and enjoy episodes just like you. For more information on the Ivy community and to attend live events near you, please visit ivy.com. Our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Stay tuned for new episodes of the Ivy Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday.